Ladder. Welcome back to Temporary Fandoms, the ESG Redux. We're doing it again, um, but we're doing it properly this time. Um, rejoining Nick and myself are Zoe Von Hess. Hey, Zoe. Hiya. Sharia Moore. Hey, Sharia. Hello. And Chris Whitby. Hello, Hello. Chris. Hello. Perfect. So uh, let's get cracking. Um, Zoe. Yes. Uh, ESG, uh, which, hang on, emerald, sapphire, gold, is that correct? Yeah, or they've also, like, I think there's a vinyl record where they're also referred to as the Enterprise in Scroggins Girls, which I think is amazing. <laughs> I want that, yeah, I want that to be their band name. And I, that, that original band name, it's a little bit like, like, you know, when you start a band when you're nine and you think, what shall we call ourselves? Oh, I like emerald. It, it, it's got that kind of young naivety feel about my it. little so, unicorn yeah yeah it's it's, it's nice I, I like both but yeah enterprising struggling skills it's always going to be for me yes what what was and your question was, <laughs> and this was this was so this is what late 70s um uh, Mars Groggins, this still is a name that brings joy every time i say it out loud Mars Groggins basically hands her kids bunches of instruments what to keep them off the street I guess I mean it. It does sound like a cliche. We it's hard to separate the uh, the legend from the truth. But I dare say, you know, there would have been a passion there for music, definitely, and for sure, she gave her children instruments. They didn't have enough money for lessons, but they they made something and they did something. It's the late seventies, and definitely the part of New York that they were from. There's no denying that it was a rough part of town. So I think that, uh, that's true. And so from what I can gather from my <laughs> my shambolic scatological research, um, they learned like, Shaka Khan numbers, Rolling Stones numbers. Uh, they, didn't re- they learned to play as they were forming the band. It wasn't that they, they could play. They just learned as they went along. Yeah, very right? much in that sort of punk ethos and i think the jackson five they were quite into as well so they'd like watch telly and then try and sort of imitate that but they kind of cottoned on that if you play your own tunes then it doesn't matter if you fuck them up so much so if you're doing (laughs) covers then you've got to get it right but it's much easier if you just make up your own because nobody knows you know um sheree when you were in violet violet um did you ever do any covers or were you frightened to in case people screamed at you on stage we did dabble in a few covers. We cho- we chose some quite odd ones. We did Blondie, as you would imagine, with our heritage. Uh, we tackled Kings of Leon at one dubious stage. Um, <laughs> and also, actually, one song that worked uh, in set religiously was Talking Heads by the end of it. Um, <laughs> although Fliss was very excited that I couldn't do the French part, so we didn't do that in um, Psycho Killer. Ah, <laughs> uh, wait, 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 wait! But you have a—I've uh, been practicing my French pronunciation just to say your name, and you weren't allowed to do the French part. She was basically like, "You're studying French. You can't do the French part. Don't do the French part. It's going to look weird." <laughs> um, regular listeners will know that whenever we need somebody to pronounce something in German, we we lean over to Nick, not because he can, but just because he will. Just because he will. will. Exactly. Um, so. <laughs> Um, New York, 1970s. Um, and you, you're right, I think, Zoe, it's going to be very hard to separate cliches from this, um, particularly through the first few albums and EPs. I had the image of every single movie or TV series I'd ever grown up with that had anything about 
um, New York, including gangs, street parties, corrupt cops, and somebody saying he's on Angel Dust. And I still don't know what Angel Dust was, but it was something from all those movies back then. But they got together. They managed to put out a couple of EPs first. Yeah, they put correct. Yeah, they put out an EP first. Obviously, someone saw that they had talent, and they're sisters, and they had like so. I think there's four sisters and a friend, um, and they were entered into talent contest by their mum, and that's where someone went. Oh yeah, we'll give them a chance. And then from there, I think the, the key thing that happened was Tony Wilson saw them, and then he got them to record. So he was pretty. Okay instrumental in, in getting them to make a recording um so they were supporting they somehow ended up supporting what a certain ratio yes that's the and, one yep and tony wilson went because yeah because certain ratio was supposed to be his next new joy division that never happened um but obviously then he brought them over did they ever go over to say manchester to factory records or was it all done i think it was done in new york as far as i can remember um i think they eventually went over to manchester because they opened the hacienda they were there for the oh. Hacienda opening. Yeah. Well, the, the opening opening. Yeah, yeah, they played. Yeah, the opening of the Hacienda. Oh. She was pregnant, um, Renee, at the time. It's a really amazing story, actually. But anyway, it's all in the pod. You have to listen to the... It is, it yeah. is. Um, this is the pod. Have, yeah, but people have already heard that in the, in, in the introduction. In my introduction, okay. yeah. <laughs> I had a note about that, though, because she... Um, I hadn't realised that she was pregnant with her daughter, who then later joined the band. So we'll obviously exactly. get to that point, which is amazing. But so she amazing. also gave birth and then three days later performed supporting Pill um, in Pasadena in California. Yeah, which is she just absolutely absolute did. force. Yeah. That is, I mean, if I have a headache, I almost cancelled this pod today because I was a bit hungover. I mean, God forbid. Um, okay, so the, there was there was a bunch of EPs which were sort of, was it put together, put, they were put together for a, a sort of secondary release. There was a four track and a three track, is that right? Or am I going crazy? I think with the debut EP, wasn't it, there's was a sort of studio side and a live side? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, the, the first EP, yeah. And then, like, there's a lot of, not rehashing, but, like, re-releasing. I think there's a couple of versions of Moody, so they re-recorded them. I think they were just trying to get it out there, and they kept sort of getting on record labels, and record labels would fold or they'd fall out with someone. So I think that's why we have a lot of repetition. But I think if we want to focus on their first recording, then that is the, the, uh, the EP, which was in 1981. Um, thank you. Um I'm just going to stop for half a second. Can everybody, everybody who's not on headphones turn down their speakers so they can hear just enough because there's a lot of background I'm, that's coming through from somewhere. It's not a bad thing. I can remove it in like a noise gate, I think, but just in case. Um, and so that was in 19... And I'm going to go back and ask you about UFO. Um, okay, so Moody was one of their first sort of tracks. And was UFO on the original EP? It was. Yes, it was. And, and there's a good story about that too, because um, there was a bit of tape left. Tape, remember tape? Um, and I think the other members of the band, so this was Renee's kind of thing that she liked, this guitar riff sound thing that she'd done. And the rest of the band weren't that bother bothered about it, but they needed to use up the tape. So they recorded this sort of instrumental called UFO. And she said because she felt like it sounded like a UFO landing. So her, her her guitar sound was like channeling this sort of vision of a UFO landing in New York. And it ends up 
being sampled by everyone. Just this little piece of music. And it's just a few seconds. So anyway, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the siren part, right? Yeah. The sort of and it's you and most samples because uh, when I listened to your original dis- description, I went off and tried to find them. And most samples seem to be speeded up or at different paces. So it's just this weird little thing that got used over and over again. Yeah. Um, do we think it was used, and this is for anybody really as a question, do we think that sample was used by so many people because of how good it was or because other people were using it? It's a sort of chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Because it became one of the defining sounds of hip-hop. It's like if you want to make a hip hop record and you put that sample on it, you sound authentic because everyone was sampling it. It's on so many classic records. And anyway, why can't it be both? Mm. Oh, I just asked a question. I mean, I write down <laughs> questions and then, and then I back away. I mean, one of us has to have a role. One of my friends who one of my friends who occasionally listens to the pod said, "Oh yeah, I'm the other guy that's on the one that knows about music." So I'm like, "Fine, <laughs> if Nick's the one that knows about music, I'm just gonna ask some questions." Um, it's better at bluffing you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, got sampled quite a lot. They have this initial early sound. I want to now properly spend some time with Come Away With, um, which was their first um, studio album. Um, this was what year? 81? 83, 83, I think. 83, sorry. I mean, when I listened to this for the first time, um, when we were recording the first version of this pod i i got post-punk meets buffalo girls type skipping audio again the new york cliches are flying around in my head the sort of um it i've had a look i think pitchfork has it as the 50th best album of the 1980s um which was doesn't seem that high but then i scrolled up and the 80s were actually way better than book, but, um <laughs> and, but this is this is what we said this is new york in the early 80s um they're in the studio um, actually making a proper record. They've had their EPs. Um, I'm going to go straight to Cherie, first of all, for this one, and then back to Zoe, just to mix up the order. Um, so why? I mean, how, how did the album come, up, come about? Uh, was it a smooth recording? I mean, what do we know about this? So uh, Zoe alluded to it earlier, but it's on 99 Records, this release. So I think it's interesting to chart the labels that are behind the releases as well, because it shows quite a lot between the dynamics of Renee as a sort of stronghold in the in the group and then how she interacts with the industry, how she gets tired with the industry and then where she sort of ends up, you know, with their last release five years ago. So it's on 99. Ed Ballam is still heading that up. He is a very interesting character because he is the guy that Zoe referenced taking them to these talent shows. Um, and their mum comes along because at that point, they're still underage, right? So they have to have their mum at most of the shows and she keeps them on the straight and narrow. Um, they record the record. Yeah, it's got a few, as I mentioned, like there are a few tracks that keep popping up and they kind of do, you know, reiterations of similar things. So Moody appears on there. It's revamped from the first EP. Um, I'm, I want to, as someone who gets her name said a lot incorrectly, I'm hoping I'm saying Chistel correctly but obviously that goes on to be Valerie's daughter's name as well and that's a kind of surf punk romp um you make no sense it's just what a tune um so yeah I feel like it's it's a really good sort of microcosm of that period because it's all four sisters together as well and I'm sure we'll get onto that but at the start it was kind of four of them 
with those instruments that Mars Scroggins gifts them, uh, creating this kind of fusion funk taken from the streets of the projects where they're learning to play percussion with coat bottles and stuff, which, yes, sounds trite and sounds a bit kind of forced, but is actually how Renee talks about it, um, which is, yeah, it's so vivid and so wonderful. I think that's it. Um, I think some music can really evoke a time and place. I mean, obviously, we have the cultural touchstones or touch points that we use to help evoke that, but something sound of... I, I can't listen to any Miles Davis without thinking of, of smoky jazz bars that I've never been to. Uh, you know, and this, this evokes a time and place as well. Um, also, there's a weird energy about it. Um, if anyone ever used to watch The Young Ones, and I'm sure we all did, there was a band that appeared on once called Rip, Rig, and Panic. And it was Nana Cherry's original band, but she'd okay. left by that point. Um, but there's, it's just the, the sort of shambolic energy of a bunch of different styles in the sort of early mm. 80s. There's a bit of punk, there's a bit of funk, there's a bit of whatever we got um, sort of working in there. Um, Zoe. Yeah. Um, did, is this, and I, I, hate to, I hate to even ask it at this point, is this their best album? Do they peak really early? Um, you're, you've got a cocktail coming right behind you. Um, that's a bit of a visual reference that audio, audio listeners, tough. It's very fancy as well. Like that's not, there's, no, there's literally no half measures there. It's all, all in. Like, it's either a water lily or it's an aviation. I can't, I don't know. If, if, yeah, there's two ingredients wow. that might be different. Anyway, before I get distracted, I think, I think this is pretty much a perfect album, perfect cocktail, perfect album. I mean, there's nothing wasted on this one. Mm. I, I'm not sure about um, the Nana Cherry Band because for me, I feel that they're really quite indie and funky. So I feel they're like they're like a funky cure. They remind me yeah. it, the sound of it reminds me of um, Boys Don't Cry, that album Boys Don't Cry. So there's like some crossover there, and I love that there's this funkiness, but also there's this um, indie thing. And this is before the indie dance crossover of the '90s. So there was that thing going on there. I also think it sounds really timeless. So even though it was, it's, you know, 1983, to me, I don't listen to it and go, oh, this is such an 80s album, like I would maybe the Human League or something like that. Um, the simplicity of it can be quite deceptive because I think it's quite hard to do what they're doing and do it that well. There's loads of energy, like Ewan said. There's like, you know, you've got that vibrancy of this young family band coming through. And I had a look the other day, and I think Dance is on this one, isn't it? That's had like 6 million yes. plays on Spotify, right? 6 million plays. But when we took this band to the group, no one knew who they were, pretty much, right? And so I've never heard this, of them. Yeah, so this is my question. It's like, why? Why doesn't anyone know who they are? They've got this amazing album. But, but is it because they have, they have one amazing seminal album, but... It never their career they disappear for a few more years and then they sort of come back later. It's not like they were constantly churning stuff out in the eighties and sale album after album after album after album. Um, I mean, yeah, I think you're right about the sort of the indie aesthetic, um, and yeah, there is obviously a lot of post punk and it is deceptively simple. Um, I have comments about that sound with later albums, but for this one, it does really, really, really work for me. Um, Chris, you're, you're, you're opening your mouth as if you wanted to say something, so I, and luckily I'm jumping straight to you. Um, I'm intrigued now. So how old were they when they recorded it? Because like the quality level 
like that first three of is it, oh yeah dance and you make no sense like that's like an outrageous level of quality straight away and i'm not saying that age is always a signifier of how good the quality is going to be but that is outrageous basically to start and come out so quickly well, that's what's intrigued how old they were that's what i'm gonna ask i'm gonna say like 17 sorry yeah uh, i think i think that's about right yeah they would have been late teens and by the sort of as they were doing things like Hacienda opening, they were coming into their early 20s, I believe, yeah. There's a really ropey YouTube video um, of the three of them playing, and it is amazing. It's, I mean, the quality is awful, but you get the idea of just these, like, really young sisters with this really exciting, yeah, vibrant sound. I think you're, I think you're right as well, Zoe. There is something about it that's totally... You could release that album today and it just mm. wouldn't, you wouldn't think like, because I remember when I was listening to it, like a track like The Beat just makes me think of something like The Go Team or someone like that, that kind of yeah. very, and you just, I think that's amazing because um, as a side point, obviously coming back into doing the podcast, much like with Can, you know, you spend lots of days, I've been listening to like a few albums a day, going over and going over. And sometimes when you're revisiting bands, you get a point where you think, I've had enough of this now, you know, I'm done, whatever. But I found with this one in particular, it's not actually my favorite, it's my second favorite, but I just, every time I put it on, I just was into it again. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going through the, the cycle of it. There's just yeah. something so exciting and kind of, um, it just, it's, it's the kind of album you can imagine someone, this is a cliche, but we're going, we've got lots of cliches already. You can imagine someone hearing that album and going, I want to be in that band, I want to be in a band, and it feels doable i'm not saying it's easy to make those songs yes, yes. But it feels doable that's what yeah. it sounds like and that's not to underplay how um, like how complex it is to make songs that catchy mm. but yeah they feel doable and achievable that's what it feels like when you listen to it um we're mentioning that sorry we're mentioning that um, you could release that this album now um would it be released as sparse now do you think do you think a producer would be all over it adding things and turning things up and um because obviously a lot of there's a lot, a lot of production on things now makes it bigger sounds. I mean, you listen to old records from, say, the 90s and from the 80s. People could get away with a flatter sound here or less oomph here because it wasn't what was expected. Whereas now, I just feel someone go, oh, we need something else. Let's get something else here. Let's turn that bit up. Let's get a bit of distortion from this. Um, do you think that you, they could have released this now in the same way? Or do you think it would be messed with anybody? I think there are a lot of bands that have done that sound more recently that I have listened to now and think, you know, like, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, Shopping, for example, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. who I love. I saw them play live. And was like, wow, someone likes ESG, you know, like those bass, <laughs> bass lines could be from an ESG record. And they are a band that keeps things quite clean, very clean guitar. You know, all of the levels are quite similar. Um, lots of drums, lots of interesting drums. So mm. I feel like there is space for that. And it's interesting what Chris was saying about, um, you know, the importance of seeing those sisters play like that and how that would inspire someone to pick up the guitar because doing the research for the book, there are so many. And I wonder if that ties to your point as well, Ewan, about um, where they sit as this kind of cult band, even though they're in the footnotes of history, there are so many bands that reference them. So it's almost like a musician's band or like, you yeah. know. And so I know Kathleen Hanna has talked a lot about them influencing La Tigra and likewise with Karen O, that was a huge thing for her and Nick. Apparently there's a lovely quote from her saying like, they just wanted to be ES ESG when they started, um, just like minus the bass, that's what they were going for. 
So, um, so, so uh, the idea of them being a musicians band, sort of like looking, at, you know, across the spectrum of people like Daniel Johnston, uh, as an example, as people go, he inspired me. He's amazing, and everyone else goes, who? Um, I mean, as an aside, when we did Daniel Johnson after his passing on the Facebook group, um, and for people who are listening, obviously this came from a Facebook group. Come to the Facebook group. Um, it was you could hear where other people got their influences from. Although it was a very difficult month to get through because obviously there's all the tapes, etc. ESG luckily has a nice sparse discography for us to get through. Um, Sorry, just two things I was going to add. Just, I think um, one, going back to the idea of the, would this sound be released now? I do think there is a, a movement, like I don't know if you want to know the band, like Crack Cloud and that kind of sound where they're really, it's, I mean, I went to see them recently and it's really sparse and really kind of trebly. Like there's, there's a movement in which, but I don't know whether, I mean, they don't, I don't think they want a major label or anything. So again, they've got that freedom to have that kind of, um, simplicity to it i suppose and the thing i was going to say about the the um influence and i might sound like a stuck record because i mentioned them last time but i think the first time i actually heard of esg was lcd sound system and i feel like that's and i think that's another band where i don't know really you know like yeah just he has all these bands circling around them that he's evidently just taken massive chunks from so it's a real shame that they didn't yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've got six million plays. Did you say, Zoe? That's still a pretty for dance. Yeah, that that yeah, so that's still single. pretty hefty. Yeah. yeah, but there's something about that. They're another one that circles around LCD Sound System, and it's a shame that they didn't. Obviously, haven't got as much as some of the bands that have come out of that. So, I'm just not going to try and mention LCD Sound System every time I come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenge. It's now. okay. It's a, it's a real challenge, actually. Yeah. Nick yeah. mentions a, Nick mentions the fall every episode. Oh We're, shit! Mm. Now I've just mentioned the fall. Yeah, I didn't mention anything. Well, um, I think, okay. I think Shastok could be a full song in a way. You know, that's yeah, a, that's all I've got say, to say. No, I was going to say that I think there's a connection with the fall as well because of that repetitive riff thing. I mean, it is quite repetitive, and and because this is the thing, we call that a groove, right? But we don't call it a groove with with the fall. Why is that? Is it why do we have to have like indie is a riff, and then if it's anything mm. kind of like funky, then it's a groove. But it's all a groove to me. Absolutely. Cool. I think that's a perfect move, uh, moment to sort of fly through the 80s a little bit. So how are they, how are they received? Let's, you know, this came out early 80s. Um, I know that people started sampling them through the 80s to the point that they released, what, sample credits don't pay our bills EP later on. Um, but did they get reception from musicians or the wider public at large or did they sort of disappear into history for a bit until they came back in the early 90s uh zoe sherry three i would say well from my reading it feels i've said it before but it does feel like their peers were certainly aware of them and their peers were impressed and into them so there's a lovely quote in the beasties beastie boys book about them being the coolest band in the 80s and i love mm-hmm. that i just think like for such a huge band to call out this sister troupe that most people haven't heard of is a massive, you know, accolade. Um, but yeah, other than the kind of the New York scene, I guess, as Zoe mentioned, they've gone over to Manchester as well. So they've got a bit of um, uh, known, you know, 
they're, they're well known in that sense as well. But other than those, you know, Manhattan, Manchester circles, I don't know if it made it much further. Really. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think that it's very much it was a club thing. I mean, if you think about it, especially come away with ESG, it's like live dance music. It's, it's like almost like Proto House, but it's done with live instruments. So I think they worked very well in those settings that maybe didn't break through to the mainstream in that way mm-hmm. at that time. Okay. Okay, so we're moving into the early 90s, um, and there was ESG, ESG, I guess. Um, Was this a compilation of previous things that came out? Um, I mean, I know that when I I put it on again the other day, and standing in line opens, obviously opens up the whole thing. And I think Nick had mentioned this to me last year, and I didn't spot it at the time. It's Nine Inch Nails head like a hole. (laughs) It wasn't me. (laughs) Now you mentioned you mentioned something said, about it being industrial. I thought it sounds like Public Image Limited. I could imagine John just, Lydon delivering those same lyrics. Now, just the drums. The drums uh, okay. are, are proper Nine Inch Nails, which is about the right time. Yeah, I guess early like ninety one. Was it when when did this come out? But yeah, it was ninety one, but it's a compilation, yeah. so I don't know if it was it just capturing all the stuff they'd released since Come Away with ESG. Or I'm not sure it was a compilation. I think that they they had new tracks, but they also had reworkings of songs that they'd done before. Right, okay. So I'm not, it was a mix of old and new material. I don't think mm. it was any sort of cash in. It's just that I feel, do you know in those days where people would release, I'm trying to think of which band it was. There was, maybe it was AHA. They released Take On Me like three times, didn't they? To try and like get hit. So I feel like it's very much in the spirit of that. Like if you made a record with a track on it and didn't do very well, then you would try and release it again. So in the hope yes. that it would get picked up. So perhaps that was an, an aspect of that. But it has got new material on it, that one, definitely. So how did this, 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 this new one come about? I mean, they've they obviously disappeared. I mean, they released, they've released a couple of VPs. They've been sampled by everybody. Um, did they just decide, well, we're now in our mid-20s, late-20s, we're going to go and do another album? Or was there sort of a clamoring... Had they been rediscovered and they were taking advantage of that? I think they were on a small independent label. I think this came out on Powwow. So it was just like a, yeah, it's a small independent label. I think they just, you know, they're just carrying on. They obviously were a band and they wanted to keep going and performing and releasing. and But they didn't have major label interest, as far as I know. So, I feel yeah. like there's a sort of revived energy as well because this is the stage when some of their children join the band as well. Am I right in saying that? Um, it might... Seems a bit early, no? No, no, I... Hang kids on, still. let me think. No, no, I don't think they joined by this time, but... Time, We're thinking but, step off. Yeah, step off, yeah. This is... This I is, know um, Deborah has left the band at this point. She has, she, absolutely. She leaves, yeah. like, a year after um, Come Away With, uh, yeah. and that's quite uh, fractious. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I think Leroy Glover comes in for a bit and he sort of ends up being across a few of the different records. Um, That's right. In bass duties, but then also in production as well. Um, So I wonder if there's just a bit of that, yeah, revived energy, maybe wanting to make a point to to kind of do another record without Deborah. Yes, yeah. I get a sense of that as well. There's also a really, really amazing single. I have to talk about this. So this was what, 
1991, but they released a single called Party Music in 1998, uh, 1988, and I absolutely love it. You can find it on YouTube. When I sort of presented it to the group, I thought everyone's going to love this, and everybody was a bit meh. But it, it's really fantastic, and my husband has a copy of it on vinyl. And I remember being at a party, house party in Bristol, and he was doing the DJ, and he played this track. <laughs> And I swear to God, I've never seen so many women get up and start dancing, which is if you're a DJ, apparently that's what you want to do, because if the women are dancing, the men will come and dance, too. So it was it was like, you know, it's like magic. And I've loved this track ever since. It's a 12 inch single. You might be able to still get it, but it is on YouTube. It's called Party Music. So I think it's really, really strong. Anyway, back to. uh the album, ESG, the album. ESG, the album. Um, so did, did they actually start getting recognition at this point like properly? Like their sample credits obviously not paying the bills. Did this start to pay the bills? Or is it just still a hobby at this moment? I mean, what else was going on in early... I mean, 91? So what we've got? We've got grunge about to explode. Um, Acid House sort of disappearing a little bit in the background. I mean, what sort of musical landscape were we looking at? Is it one that was receptive? I don't think it was particularly conducive to them kind of getting anywhere. I know that they're in that Nicolas Cage movie, you know, Vampire's Kiss. Oh, they're really? In the club scene in that, wow. which is so I love a club scene in a movie. I just love it. The cheesier, the crapper, the better. But they're actually in that movie, Vampire's Kiss. So I think, like, I don't think they were just, you know, doing it as a hobby. I think they were a proper band. Mm. But I also don't think that they ever really got their dues. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I probably edited it out by the time you hear this, but there was a really weird sound just then. Um, okay, so early 90s, they sort of came back, rejigged a few things. Um, they're still going. Um, under, as I called back to about five minutes ago, under Step Off, which is what, 2002? 2002. Yeah, 2002. I've written down next generation Scroggins. So I think this mm. is when this is when other more people sort of start to come in. Um, I will say, by this point, occasionally for me, on a couple of tracks, the simplicity. I just think you're missing an instrument. I don't know what instrument it is. You're missing one instrument right here, just to give it something. It's like they came back with. They came back doing their own thing and their parents' thing. Um, and it, there's a lot of good stuff in Step Off, but this is probably the lull for me. Chris, where are you on Step Off? This is probably my favourite, I reckon. Yay! Yeah, I think it's my favourite. I think that um, just going back to the last one, uh, ESG, ESG, the pr- for something about that album, the production just doesn't do it for me. There's something a bit weird in the sense that... Uh, if I remember rightly, that's the album at times. It all started to get a bit of Van Halen at one point. Like there's some it's really tres on there. Yeah. yeah, there's some. Yeah, yeah, there's it's a lot. Quite of, weird. Yeah, yeah. Lot, I think there might be some pinch harmonics in there, which is never a good thing in my book. But um, I just remember thinking, yeah. I also, re- <laughs> I also realized I just said that out loud, and then halfway through it coming out, I wasn't entirely sure I was convinced what I was saying. So uh, maybe <laughs> re- rescind that from it. I think there are some. Uh, we can come back to pinch harmonics anyway. Um, All right. But there's something about the production. I'll put a pin in that. Yeah. Put, yeah, a exactly. Pinch. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I didn't, yeah, something, I didn't get on with it basically, but I think on this one, it kind of comes right. I think that sparseness, that kind of, 
yeah, it's my favorite, basically. I think it's got some, I think every album has got a song on it that should have been massive. And, uh, well, there's a few on this one. But, um, like, on the last one, I think that um, Erase You should have been a massive pop song. And also, mm-hmm. just, sorry, just because like, before we go past, I had the words La Tigre written next to it. So I'm glad to hear that La Tigre were influenced by it. Uh, but, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think that... Um, I think most people from the references in other places, if you thought of ESG, you'd think of that, come away with ESG. But I actually think this is a lot more interesting. I think it's, there's some amazing, yeah, we'll go into it, but I think it's amazing, essentially. Um, obviously, regular listeners will realize that whenever I express my opinion on anything, there's always one guest who goes, no, no, total opposite. Um, I don't even know why I'm here sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so we're we 2002. They've got this new album. Um, it's Chris's favorite. I got a bit of a lull thinking there was something missing. Um, Zoe, where's it sitting well, with you? I think it's kind of amazing that they're still making good music in 2002, yeah. quite frankly. I mean, fair play with your children in the band. Fucking hell. Yeah, I know. Incredible. So just that already. Um, I love Be Good To Me. The guitar sounds mm. on that are just very sweet and sexy. Love that. Agree. And I'm always interested in bands that make guitars sound different. So all of my favorite bands, all of my favorite artists take a guitar and then they make it sound a bit weird. So My Bloody Valentine, uh, Richard Dawson, who mm. I just love. That everybody hates, which is fine. Um, I'm not sure if he hates. No, yeah, we are. We're all. Oh, no. We're all in the are club. We all, so we're all in the club. Re- I was. Please tell me that we are. Yeah, I was. I'm, just, I'm, I'm still the, catching up. I'm still catching up as a brief side on the Richard Dawson stuff, and um, I just, I like it. There's some vocal things I'm still getting used to, but no, 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 no. It's, the week of the uh, the immersion, which is a busy week. So uh, I've seen him live a few times. I'm well in the camp. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, we don't. We, we'll save that for the Richard Dawson immersion, right? Uh, the Absolutely. Podcast. Ah-ham, ah-ham. <laughs> right. So back to ESG. But no, step off. I think step off is really interesting. I totally agree with Chris. Um, I love that Mike Plowman. You know Mike Plowman. Mm-hmm. He's our sort of elder statesman. I was about to mention this. Our, yeah. Um, you will, yeah our of, listeners will know him from uh, the full part six and part five. Yes. He's the elder statesman of the. Um, temporary fandoms group and he absolutely fell in love with this album and it was so beautiful to see and i was sort of going you don't know how cool you're going to be to your kids and then i realized like actually most kids they don't care about this album so they're not going to care about this band (laughs) so i was showing my age myself but i just think it's it's really interesting and it's really great and i just think all credit to them in 2002 that they're still making interesting music without support without any you know backing like well-deserved backing and resources that they should have had um yeah um, how many people are in the band at this point uh okay i think oh i've got the lineup somewhere i can't remember nicole and justelle are definitely in I they think are yes nicholas joins the band but it might be later renee's son as well um so yeah i think least, he comes in later yeah so at least four Okay. Okay. It's hard to imagine there's many of them for such a sparse sound. Well, this is this was my question. It does sound like something that two people could have done. And I'm saying this in a very positive way. It sounds like you, you sort of wonder what all the band members are doing sometimes. And they're sort of standing around taking things away. Um, yeah, I did write, this is bare bones, and it is all about the rhythm. They keep on moving it, uh, sorry, moving it forward. But yeah, it's just... I don't know. I felt this one was a bit lacking for me. There is definitely something that happens at this point where... You could argue that a lot of the songs, nothing really happens. 
but it's that kind of beautiful thing in the fact that it just keeps you intrigued. I don't know. There's something about yes, yeah, the rhythm thing, isn't it? Like that is definitely the kind of characteristic I think from now on that you've just kind of got to stick with it, and it has this kind of. Again, I'm going to use the cliche web. It's the atmosphere of, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. a song like yeah, it's a mood. Yeah, it's not me. It's absolutely like unbelievable. Like there's something about that song about that and six pack. I think is amazing. Mm. The fact that six pack isn't like a staple of every indie disco is a crime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nick corrected me the other day that I might have think thought it was about something it wasn't about the other day. So. Do we know what that well, I think, one? I think it, I think it was Zoe who told me that a six pack yeah. in this song is actually a, a packet of condoms, not a I, pack of beers. I said that once again. Every single podcast, you say Zoe said this thing, and I'm like, what? Really? Well, Did maybe, I say maybe that? it was someone else said. Oh. I don't know, but like it, it made me. It also made me reassess the uh, Black Flag song of the same name, which I'd always assumed <laughs> oh. was about beer. But suddenly, then when you know when you think, well, twenty five dollars and a six pack to my name is the chorus, and you, oh, it's about condoms. It's, that changes everything. I love a bit of safe sex. No, I'm, mm. I'm all for that. That's I think that is something we haven't mentioned yet, actually, that I find safe the lyrics, uh, well, that Sorry. as well, but <laughs> always. But the, the lyrics in general, I find all of the lyrics, you can take them on a very surface level and they're like, oh, it's a bit party, whatever. But particularly, again, as it goes on, they're all, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if I hand over to other no more, but it's just the lyrics are very simple, but really, yeah, really powerful. Once you start like really focusing in on them, but I don't know enough about their situation of like what the songs are about, but there's definitely a real just simplicity. And I suppose you could say that all the way yeah. through, but a real amazing simplicity. Cause like, as I said earlier, it's not easy to do simple, if that makes sense. It is. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. There's kind of a Zen of it, isn't there? Mm. There's some sort of Zen thing in it. When you take a phrase and you repeat it and yeah, it's got to be good because otherwise it's just boring and they manage to like hold my attention. So they're doing something right. I mean, sure. this does follow the narrative of a lot of the bands we've covered on the pod, I Can and The Fall um, and ESG, different types of bands, but still there is, they are loved because of their repetition and not necessarily bridge chorus structures, mm-hmm. etc. Okay, so we've, we went from an album a decade, um, and now we're only going to wait four years. Um, is it four years to keep on moving? Yeah. And this is when this is the band gets bigger at this point. Although the music still stays stays relatively bare bones, right? I think it's more minimal. I think this album and step off. They just like took the everything out. Episode, it, I think it's the opening track, purely physical. It's such a sparse track. I feel, and, uh, I feel like this is deep in Renee's like dub. Yeah, love. yeah. yeah. But it's also funny that I mean I think Zoe mentioned this in the in the introductions. This whole thing that that. She really, they didn't do themselves any favors with making themselves incredibly easy to sample because they just, That's they right. all sound like backing tracks. They all sound like tracks you could take and then add a few more layers on. I guess this is kind of what Ewan was saying about Step Off as well, feeling like there's something missing. It's like, yeah. So yeah, much of this stuff. Of yeah. Complaining about being sampled and then making highly sampleable yeah. tracks. Stop it. <laughs> Get a brass section. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I I I I did by this point get surprised by how little they had changed. Everyone changes. All bands change. All bands. We've just come off the back of recording six episodes about the fall. The fall stayed the same, but they changed dramatically throughout. There was certain periods, and yeah, okay, one bit sounds a bit more eighties, and this bit sounds a little bit more nineties. But in theory, 
this is exactly the same band. It's a continuation of what they were doing before. Sherry, do you agree? I don't agree with that. Yay! No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I wrote on my very extensive notes that it's so processed and so digital. For me, it's like ESG yeah. meets logic. And I know what you mean about Step Off, but for me, that comes much later than Lull. Um, like the next record, uh, where I'm where I'm kind of missing something. Uh, I think keep on moving. It's interesting because they've had this kind of um, resurge of interest in a in a small way uh, mm. because they're on a bigger label. I'm doing inverted commas on Soul Jazz, so they've got a bit of structure. They've got a bit of industry behind them, and so Soul Jazz. I'm assuming their PR good job of sending out the record and trying to get a bit of coverage so i did actually find which is very rare for esg reviews from the guardian uncut observer talking about um and it is interesting i guess it's just the theme of this whole podcast and for esg she probably feels like it's shaped her whole career is this perception and whether um whether you're reviewing completely critically or whether you're reviewing the legacy so a lot mm. of people would say, you know, like maybe they're unknown, but it's not some obscure band that isn't worth the hype. They are worth the hype. And I truly believe that. But you do wonder sometimes if you're just sort of influenced by what you've heard because yeah. of, they're that band from the 80s. Um, so, no, I, I liked it. Um, it. I guess for me, I felt like it, it deviated loads. There's loads of R&B in this one. Like yeah. that X with the pianos, kind of a very sort of sultry um and then you've got like kind of the earlier sounds with the rhythm blocks coming back purely physical as we talked about sort of crisp by hats very solely very sensual um so it felt different to me it felt different from the kind of 80s indie funk scene sorry can i sorry sheree can i ask Mm. what the uh, reviews said about this album Mm. like more or less what was the general um, I, consensus they were they were positive all of them oh, okay. but, but that's kind of what I mean is that they were positive yeah. in a sense of you may not have heard of this band but they've still got it and they're worth listening to right okay interesting yeah. but is it is it that thing I think you alluded to that um, it's almost because they're a musician's band and because they're held up by this point as being this cool thing that no one else knows um, we all have known but have never been that person who liked things because they were cool we have all been that person. We have um, totally been that person. <laughs> we literally have a podcast talking about bands that we think are cool. But um, is there an element of that that's really hard to sort of disassociate from? Of sort of, oh, they are good, but are they good because I want to look cool? Yeah, I think there's almost that fear, isn't there? Um, and and that's kind of what I meant about that whole like, should I say this or should I not? Being clear about what you. Dis- disassociating that but no it's five stars in the observer and his byline wow. his lead sorry says are these post-punks the world's only mother and daughter's group i don't know but they're surely the best yeah, and, it's and, kind of amazing i mean yeah. we have to give credit to, to that i think that is a valid point but also this album is quite weird Mm. It's quite yeah. it's quite odd, isn't it? So I know you um Cherie, you were saying there's like R and B, but it's R and B, but it's really quite weird. Do you know what I mean? It's like R and B gone wrong. And I kind of that's what I love about them. I love Same. that they're always a little bit outsider. And I've got a fucking terrible reputation in the group for being the one that always brings the outsider bands for my immersions. But actually I listen to loads of mainstream 
mainstream stuff. It's just that I think that these bands mm. make the best immersions. Like, mm. I don't want to go and listen to something that everybody loves and knows. So anyway, back to ESG. This is a really odd album. Mm. And, and it sounds the road. Very... Yeah, yeah, the, the road. Post-apocalyptic I've got, thing. I've got, that, they... I've got that funky industrial. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, do. They're doing... Uh, but I mean, that sounds you amazing. And, it, it but you and... You and mentioned this earlier where you said nine inch nails and they, mm. they're doing industrial. Yeah. These yeah. ladies yeah. are doing industrial, right? It's all the um, spring reverb, isn't it? On the drums yeah. for me. It's just huge. Absolutely yeah. like clattering warehouse drums. Because I look through this album more than any of them. I actually had like against things it sort of made me think of. When I look through it, like I had for physical, it made me think of like Hyperdub, the record label Hyperdub and that kind of stuff going on there. For moving, I had Fugazi which is the dub thing that you were talking about, yeah. uh, Zoe. And then I had, for, I'd do it for you. It sounds like a love song through a drum machine, which I don't know what that means. But then, mm. and then X basically sounds like I do it for you without the drum machine. So it's just like, <laughs> then, if you read that in a, a row, it sounds like it'd be really all over the place. But actually there's a kind of, again, it is weird, but it all fits together and it kind of just makes sense as them, I suppose. That's it. It's, yeah. Um. Just for people who are listening, Chris was just reading out of his notebook a little, and I just have this image of paying money to go and watch Chris read out his yeah, from like, his notebook of bands and things <laughs> that remind him of other things. It's like it's like some form of modern street jazz poetry. Zoe? Yeah, yeah. I just want to talk about actually. Um, Cherie mentioned this earlier that there was a bit of a resurgence in interest in ESG because they had their sort of eighties thing, and then they, you know. As you can see, no one paid them any attention and they got sampled lows. They got no money and no recognition or very little recognition. I mean, um, I know the Beastie Boys gave credit to them, but they were sampled like over 400 times. Where are all the people saying these ladies, you know, and I think this is one of the things that Renee cuts up rough about and quite rightly so, is that they're being sampled by hip hop artists who are incredibly misogynistic and, you know, basically almost talking about violence against women and they're using this track from this all-girl band and i would be fucking pissed off quite frankly you know so it's really interesting that at this time there was a resurgence in interest in this band soul jazz have to be credited for that for saying check this out they they re-released a lot of their early stuff is that right yeah, because then and then they dab they doubled with fire as well, didn't they? <laughs> yes. I didn't mean it like that. I meant the record label. <laughs> but um yeah. I guess maybe Renee feels like that too. Uh yeah, so fire records came in a bit. It's it's interesting, like I said at the start, it's just interesting seeing her kind of potentially thinking about record labels, then getting burned by that and thinking, no, I want to do mm. our own thing, then going back into it in 2000, maybe massive like i don't know if this is true but you know her younger generation are saying we should get a label involved let's give that a go she's like okay let's go for that um yeah yeah do you think it sounds self-produced though this album i feel it's got that real i guess in the logic sense yeah in the fact mm. that i can feel them making it and seeing the components of the parts coming together in the yeah. recording and the sampling yeah i do think what's interesting about these last two albums is my feeling is if you were um, going back to your reference about um, parties, Zoe, if you put on Come Away with ESG, everyone will be hooked straight away, but like well into this. These two, yeah. you, I don't like to be that guy that says, you know, you've got, you've got to really listen. I don't mean it like that, but there's definitely, you need a bit of time with it. Definitely give it one yeah. go and then try again. It's, they've moved into a bit more of, um, yeah, you need to give it a bit of a second listen and kind of stick I've, with it. 
That was possibly my problem because um, I re-listened to I listened to them a year ago when we originally did the pilot episode of this podcast, and I've listened to them all again this week um, while I was making lunch every day. Um, the last two albums were a Thai chicken curry, um, and I it was great, and I was dancing around, but I wanted the first ones, which did grab mm. me straight away on like an initial listen. Um, Zoe, you sort of put your hand up and then put it down again. No, I'm all right. Okay, I'm um, fine. I, I think, just had a thought, and then I'm I'm okay with it. The other thing I was going to say earlier, actually, um, I find the earlier albums I can put on the stereo, and I just do stuff while I'm, I don't know, cleaning the house. What do you do when you listen to music? Clean the house, whatever. I found these two albums do sound much better on headphones that you can focus, and the sound benefits from that. Whereas I find, yeah, the earlier stuff is I can listen to any context. These ones, if I'm walking or running or whatever, they, they work better in that context because they are, it comes alive a bit more for me, I think, the sound. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us on um, to closure. Um, how many years is uh, the gap? 2013, we're in 2000, yeah. Okay, so another yeah. seven years. Um, I, I can already predict what's going to happen. I'm going to say, actually, I really like this. And then somebody's going to tell me that I'm an idiot. Because, yeah, I think it's the uh, worst album. <laughs> I thought that Thump was a banger of an opener. I thought it was all bass, disco guitar. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I thought the album, it just, I don't know, I really enjoyed the album throughout. Uh, in, even though there were times that the percussion reminded me of Kid Creole and the Coconuts, which isn't a bad thing because I actually quite like Kid Girl and the Coconuts, but I didn't expect to hear it in here. Mm. Um, Nick, you said it's the worst album. Oh, I'm, I'm, I like I'm, this I'm, one. I'm, <laughs> I'm exaggerating for the sake of being contrary, <laughs> but but actually, I mean, you know, if I were to rank them, I'd put it last. Yes, uh, it isn't to say I don't, I don't like it. I just think track for track, it's weaker than the other ones. It doesn't have like all the other track albums have got tracks on it that are just real gems, and I don't I don't feel there's anything on here that, that I have strong feelings about really. Oh, can we talk? Oh. Can we talk about the cover? Oh, oh no! Word <laughs> yeah. Oh, the cover is it's the second worst cover. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I have yeah, a note yeah. about the worst cover, and we haven't got to it yet. Yeah, it's very it's getting there. Very unbelievable. Paint. I kind of love it though. Well, I know I it's, it, it is definitely in the this, realm of yeah. so bad that it's it's good because you it's couldn't good, set yeah. out to make a cover that bad on purpose. So they're self they're self releasing at this point, aren't they? So. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so adorable. Self-designing as well. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I'm sorry, but it like it like warms my little heart. I'd have done it for my heart. Chris is looking at the cover now. <laughs> yeah, I am looking at the cover. That's exactly what yeah. I'm trying to remember what it looked like. I think also because it's so meta. You know, we talked yeah. before about Chris, yeah. you made a comment about the vocals and like, you know, looking further into them and having a bit more depth. Whereas this is very like, this is going to be our last album. We are going to have a door on the cover. Yes. yes. Yes, um, it's very literal. And I yeah. love that, that they're like, yeah, we're quitting now. This is it. Closure. We're all done. <laughs> yeah. Of course yeah. they're not. But no. they're saying, no, 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 really, really. Um, people who know me well in real life, they know that one of my biggest pet peeves is the over-literal use of music and things. Um, I love things that are meta and self-referential. But, you know, when you're watching something and someone's sad walking down the street, they're like, walking down the street, uh, that sort of thing. So this cover was sort of, ah, uh-huh, got it. Has anybody um, here seen that um, on that subject the the Morrissey film the story the film about Morrissey's life what was it called oh, England no, is mine no. that if you want to watch a film there is a no, bit he's... in it 
He's dead yeah. to me. Sorry. Uh, he is. Sorry, uh, yeah. to, be, to be clear, <laughs> it was pre, when I say pre all of that, it's all a bit ropey, isn't it? The last 25 mm. years. But um, there's a bit in that where literally he does everything as if he's acting out a song. It's like the worst mm. referential to the music. And they can't use the music either. Anyway, away from Morrissey. Sorry. That was no, a, no, it's a, okay. a, low no. moment, a low moment. For me, Morrissey <laughs> um, was like the TV series Lost. I, I, I moved away after about five episodes. And then when everybody realized it was shit right at the end, I just laughed at them because I, I was right. Well, well, I, was ve- I was very rarely right. This time I was right. <laughs> I think we should still do a Smith's episode. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm well, well up for that. Sorry, I've, I've taken this into a very dark direction. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Chris. Yeah, sorry about that. I was thinking, listening to this one, you know, like a lot of bands when they've, they've been back for a while or, you know, they're still going and then you inevitably get a crossover where they do a collaboration with someone or you try something. I really wanted to hear this album if they'd like, paired up with the roots or quest love someone like that there's something oh, yeah, there's yeah, something about could... i just really heard it in the i just think that overlap would be amazing and i don't know what it is but this one just feels really there's a lot of drums on it a hell of a lot of drums and like that funkiness to it they're just that's the image i want that to happen that's just... they've still got something haven't they yeah exactly. they really have still even after all this time they've still got something i think like the pain yeah that's amazing amazing R&B, but it's always just a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, I love it. And and I feel tonight, that's another one which you feel, like, oh, this is the start of something. This has got something here. But then it doesn't really develop. But I also really love on this one, uh, Strange Creatures Dance, yeah. which I think it's is great. the end. Yeah. yeah, it's such a great track. Mm. So I feel like, wow, there's still, there's still something there. They're self-producing, they're self-releasing. Won't someone just give them a break and come in and like, what what Give year is this? Money. 2013. 2013. Yeah. Mm. But I think Strange Creatures Dance, you're so right, Zoe. Like for me, that had it reminded me of Georgia. I feel like if Georgia hasn't listened mm. to them, it could be yeah. on her most recent Seeking Thrills. Like it's yeah. the exact sort of Bonnie Tyler synths and pads. And I for me, I'm with Nick, like it's definitely the weakest one. I miss the real drums. Um, I just yeah. want and I think that's what the shift happens for me in these um, follow-up records from Come Away With, where it is a full band. And that sounds really like puritanical, but I just want to hear like the timbales and the congas and the drop. That for me is what is ESG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, that's the, their strength, right? Yeah. So when they go electronic, we yeah. lose something there. Exactly. And I think that's valid. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So for me, it felt weak because of that but there are still some great tracks and interestingly to seg us into the next album the year after I feel like they almost get their sort of legend period because they play at the park page at Glastonbury yes and that's right they play yes. at um James Lavelle's Meltdown Festival which is the only time I've ever seen them which oh. was tremendous I was gonna say have you seen them that's that was wonderful. mine that's what I was just about yeah. to ask as well yeah I'm glad <laughs> you came up yeah <laughs> it was funny though because it was in the um Royal Festival Hall which is seated obviously yeah and if there is a band that should not be performing in a seated <laughs> venue is ESG then, yeah so everyone got up and walked down the steps and they were all in the front just dancing it was wonderful um so yeah I think that's interesting that they've managed to yeah, I guess they've moved into that legacy phase of like now they've been performing for three, four decades. They play the park stage at Glastonbury, but almost as a remember this band rather than a, this is their latest record closure. Sure. Yeah. 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 
Uh, okay, so well, that's that is a perfect time to to segue up to um, the worst on the al- welcome to album cover chat. Um, now we are moving to the worst <laughs> album cover. Um, incidentally, uh, in a previous episode, we talked about an album cover and then we were contacted by somebody on social media who had the original artwork of said album cover. So if anybody's listening who have the original clip art gifts <laughs> files um, of, of these, these, these album covers, please get in touch. Um, so yeah, what more can you take with possibly the worst album cover of all time anybody's ever done ever it's quite See, bad co- yeah, yeah the, the album cover i kind of got to be yeah, clear here because yeah, i, I, I quite like the it. album oh we're not there yeah we're, we're on album cover okay chat. okay, okay. <laughs> different segment um i mean what the fuck were they thinking i mean they've got multi-generations in this band at this moment so you've got i mean this feels like misguided auntie trying to be cool um, but the but the kids have gone, yeah, whatever, let's let's pull it out. Ewan, they're grannies. They're essentially grannies. Is your granny as cool as fucking ESG, quite frankly? But there, there are other say. people in that band, there are younger people in that band who would go, what are you doing? Can we get would a you, cup of coffee? If, if like Renee is your mum, would you face up to her and say, don't no, do that? I'm, I'm a coward. I'm yeah, a coward. Yes, I would. I'd say, say let me do whatever's... it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think Renee is a formidable woman and more power to her. And if that's what album cover she wants, then. Also, but, yeah, they're quite, quite an bad. eclectic bunch. I'm pretty sure when they played the uh, South Bank, Nicholas came on as a lizard, like just dressed <laughs> as a lizard. So <laughs> if you if you're like, yeah, you're wearing that. Cool. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, then they'd be fine with that record cover. Yeah. I do like the idea of how you would describe it to somebody that you want someone in what might be like late nineties, like new metal trousers and what seems like a dead rat. Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? It's simple. If nothing else, I suppose. (laughs) If there was, if there's like some form of party parlor game where, you know, you have to draw an album cover that someone's describing to you. Yes. um, I'm not sure where we'd go with this one. However, I want to play that game now next time i get drunk and people are allowed to come to my house i'd play that game <laughs> um, so the album um we talked earlier on about or i talked earlier we had a bit of a conversation earlier on about um would their early stuff be released in the same sound if it was released now this is the one that all the production for me seems turned up mm. massively like it's you know they've got there's, there's everything they've they've got the equipment and everything's boosted and turned up and there's this bigger 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 sound good or bad i mean i'm just this this sounded the most different to the initial stuff that i could get to um nick you mentioned that you quite like this one yeah i do i mean again maybe maybe doesn't have the the individually standout tracks of the earlier ones in the same way but the the overall sound feels i don't know it just sounds better than closure to me but also in in my notes i'm not sure which track i was thinking of but i've just noted like little sims and salt that there's a kind of there's something along those lines going on. And I was wondering if when that Little Sims album came out, if it was not long after I'd been listening to a lot of ESG and that's why I was so receptive to it, maybe. I, I didn't think of that at the time. It only occurred to me in this last week while I was listening. Um, but then again, you've got a track like uh, My Bug, which has that big sort of industrial sound again, like The Road. It's nuts. Your granny's making industrial, you know. Yeah, yeah. Pretty impressive, Some, I some think. of the guitars go into sort of Bill and Ted's Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Don't they? <laughs> Proper, like faith no more doing the Libra. 
I also thought the ESG thing would sound like totally monumental live. Like it sounds like it would be massive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And because that's, that's, that's one of the, all the way through all of it, I did start thinking like, what would it be like live? Like, would mm. it be this kind of just how, because going back to your um, thing about the Royal Festival Hall, the only gig I've seen as part of Meltdown uh, was Sun. I went to see Sun at Royal Festival Hall. And again, I imagine some of the sound on this, if it was up, like loud and bassy, it would be like really physical, like really kind of, um, yeah, I can imagine it being quite, quite big, basically. It'll probably be unsurprising to know that they hardly played any new stuff in that set. Uh, so okay. I, I specifically remember them playing Watching because I remember thinking that was a really weird song yeah. and the lyrics were really strange. And um, mm. But other than that, it was a lot. It was a best. I mean, you've got so many albums to cover and so many great tracks. I think they just went proper greatest hits mm. for the set list. There was, there was a greatest, there was a... Um... A greatest hits album, mm. yeah. At some point, wasn't it? Dance, dance to ESG. Seems to be quite a few compilations. Okay, okay, um, okay. So, I mean, they have been a constant, except they've they've changed it a little bit. And how many family members in total have been in ESG? I think it's three, isn't it? It's it's the three. Well, that was it's at the start. Yeah, and at the start. And then, it's going to be. <laughs> Eight or something. Okay. Oh, you mean in total? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of like the next generation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I okay. can't do maths. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, they're a band that definitely they've got their legacy uh, originally as a musicians band, and they were lauded by the same people who were also stealing their samples and not giving them money. Um, and now there does seem to be um, place a recognition. Uh, people looking back and go, this band, they've just they've just finished, or maybe they haven't. Maybe they'll come back with another amazing album cover. Um, this band means something to music, um, and obviously they've influenced a lot of different um, artists over the years. Um, I'm slightly distracted because behind Zoe, it looks like her husband was trying to open the door and crawl and stay out of the camera. That was a child. Yeah, that's my, was it a that's child? my daughter, my oh, okay. eldest. Yeah, uh, carry on. What's her so, favourite um, ESG album? She doesn't like ESG. She <gasps> likes the mechanisms and podcasts. Oh, my God. They're even... I wasn't sure. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if the mechanism was a comment on, like, the political structures. Sorry, I wasn't sure why. Yeah. No, they're a band. <laughs> right. They're a podcast-related band. It's very, very complex. It's all like fandoms and and eBay temporary stuff. fandoms. Claxon, <gasps> Claxon. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe, okay. maybe we're cooler than we thought we were. Maybe we've got younger references than we realise. Chris, we are not cool. We are just as cool as we thought we were, if not slightly <laughs> less so. Um, so um, we've we've gone through the journey of ESG. Um, I mean, legacy. Do you think? I mean, are there any? We've, we've mentioned things like LCD sound system. Uh, big artists that have sort of been influenced, that have had them as an influence. Um, they've also seemed to fit a very similar space coming through the post-punk era um, of things like The Fall or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think this is it for ESG? Do you think they're going to stand, have their place in, in, in music's history, in the, in the canon of, um, or do you think they're just going to be what they are now? That was a terrible question. Well, hopefully hopefully this question podcast later. is going to break them. <laughs> well, if there's any justice in the world, then, yeah. yeah, they will get the recognition that they rightly deserve. Yeah. And when Cherie's um, book comes out, opening night, surely book release, 
gig. Well, <laughs> so there's it's no um no like happenstance that it's coming out the year of the 40th anniversary of Come Away With. So oh, I, I, I pushed for that and I yeah. would love to lure mm. Renee out to yeah play again. Um as Zoe said previously, I think she said uh, numerous times, this is the last album from ESG. This is the last gig from ESG. I think I interviewed her once and she said oh, wow. exactly that. And then the second time I interviewed her, it was like, oh, no, we are still, we're still playing. <laughs> we're still here. Um, so I hope, yeah, 40 years on, maybe there'll be the proper righteous fanfare for them. I'm looking forward to their third final album. Um, and hopefully they'll they'll, maybe the next one has is a door reopening I was thinking I do find find interesting with them because I can only go on my experience of how I came across them but I do think they're so overly associated with that kind of uh, punk funk if you will DFA that kind of early 2000s revival that really underplays them I think that's one of their biggest problems that you know, you can say, oh, they kind of influenced the rapture and all that kind of um, stuff that happened in the early 20- 2000s. But really, that's such a small part of what they did. And I wonder if that's their biggest biggest problem. Like, that actually, there's so much more, but I don't know how you get that across because it's, as we said earlier on, there's a bit more work that goes with it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Just know. don't neatly fit into any one place. No. Which is what's yeah. great about them, but also probably why they may never get the recognition they deserve. I hope I'm wrong. Well, um, well, if you are listening to this and you haven't been listening to the Spotify playlist, um, please take some time and go and explore everything. Um, you can find it on all the Spotify's and the YouTube's. And if you really like them, there's probably a band camp or something where you can go and actually, you know, buy something from the from the artist and they actually get some money for all the different samples that they've been having over the years. Um, we're going to wrap up at this point. It has been an absolute pleasure um, make, doing some justice to ESG. Um, it's sort of sat there as a pilot episode that we didn't really do, and it deserves so much more. So, Zoe, thank you ever so much for coming back on and doing this again. Thank you. Thanks for giving ESG the, you know, <laughs> the support they deserve, finally. Uh, um, Chris, thank you for coming on and reading from your little notebook. There's so much more from this notebook. Just waste yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cherie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Such a joy. Thank you. Nick? Yes. See you later. Bye-bye. Is it over already? In that case, it must be time for me to roll the credits. Thank you, Zoe Von Hess, for your heartfelt introductions and for rejoining us for the group discussion. Thanks also to Christopher Whitby, and to writer and broadcaster Sharia Moore. Look out for her forthcoming book on Come Away with ESG for the 33 and a third series. It's sure to be brilliant. Thank you also to my obstinate co-host Ewan, who simply refused to let ESG be that band we did on our half-assed pilot episode. You done good, Ewan. Mars Scroggins would be proud of you. Thanks as always to Jonathan Fisher as well for our soundtrack. If you enjoyed the show, you can show us by liking and subscribing, but better still, chuck us a review on Apple Podcasts. We haven't got the budget to offer you bribes, but know that you'd earn mine and Ewan's appreciative nodding. And please do join us again next time to listen to more incredible records. I'm Nick Hilditch, and I'm going to erase you just like a drawing. Pump it up, girl! Shut up!
Cherie, can I ask? Yes. Uh, we didn't, I was going to ask you this during it, but uh, mm. what? So, what's the angle of the book then? Are you are you doing an album, or are you doing one album and then look at the whole thing? What, what's the what's what's your angle? I can't say the word. Sorry. So it is one album because the thirty-three and a third are very it's like picture album. Yeah, album. Was, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah. yeah. So I've gone for Come Away With, even though yeah. it hasn't got UFO on it, obviously. Um, <laughs> But I did in the, I don't know if any of you have ever applied for Thirty-three and a Third, but it's super extensive, the proposal. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to do like the structure and the chapters. So the chapters um, do centre on the EP and kind of backdrop, South Bronx story, um, mm. growing up in the project, then moves into sort of that Manhattan, Manchester scene. Um, I've, then I've got a bit about that legacy of them playing across decades and then I really I've got a bit on sample credits that I'd like to get some kind of experts on uh mm-hmm. and then a bit at the end around um other people have been influenced by them kind of you know heavyweight names so I've gone Amazing. ambitious I don't know if I'll get all those people but um I'm hoping so I've been chatting to Peter Hook about um oh, wow. getting his kind of hacienda take on it which would be Mm. awesome and i spoke to an incredible woman from the bronx music heritage center who's told me a lot about the projects and kind of growing up there so yeah sounds amazing i I wanted to speak to renee but um when i messaged her about the bit she's she's as you can imagine she's quite a um like tough character and i think she's she's probably quite guarded yeah been burnt a lot and initially she was a bit um off with me about it but then she emailed back like five hours later because of the time delay saying oh sheree i remember speaking to you and you were one of the journalists that got it right so yeah hopefully she'll chat to me i just i want to make sure the time i get with her is really pointed and i'm not Mm. you know it's focused to not bother her too much because she's got bad knees hasn't she she's got bad (laughs) knees (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> how how did you find working with 33 and a third because a friend of mine just applied for to them mm, that was yeah. all just strangely after nick mentioned that you were doing a 33 yeah. and a third he messaged saying he'd apply for one but that's oh, weird. Okay. which album yeah. he wants to do um do you know the band dead meadow uh-huh they're the grunt the like psych rock band but um, right. he, he's been he's been in contact with them and they've got back straight away saying they'll do interviews for it and stuff but i'm not sure if he's been overly enthusiastic very early that's my that's my only concern but well, the story i know is, is that stuart lee got turned down to do a hex induction hour i did uh, not you know, know that wow. apparently apparently Gosh. Yeah. um yeah they fit i haven't it was a long process like yeah, i bet. not not just me doing it but as in i didn't hear back for ages so i only actually found out i think i submitted it in july and then i found out in december last year uh, um and i think they'd said they'd get back to everyone by september and i didn't <laughs> think so i kind of assumed it wasn't happening yeah. um and i know there was quite like fierce competition but the good thing is it's super varied the last round mm. that they've just accepted mm. like kendrick lamar's on there so is Babes in Toyland and ESG, wow. which I'm oh, amazing. About. So, great. Yeah. 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 That's great news. Yeah, it sounds exciting as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. <laughs> great. Let's You've continue sold four this. Already. There's four yeah, copies at exactly. least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>